The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and What do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. From Spirituality and Health magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. Our guest today, Julie Peters, is a staff writer for Spirituality and Health magazine and a yoga teacher in Vancouver, British Columbia, where she runs Ocean and Crow Yoga Studio with her mother, Jane. Julie is the author of Secrets of the Eternal Moon Phase Goddesses, Meditations on Desire, Relationship, and the Art of Being Broken. Her newest book is Want, Eight Steps to Recovering Desire, Passion, and Pleasure After Sexual Assault. Julie Peters, welcome to Essential Conversations. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you're welcome. This is going to be interesting. We both work for the same magazine, um, so I'm excited to see what uh, what my colleagues have to say. So, you know, the <laughs> book. Great. So, your book opens with the statement: "When a bad thing happens, you have to survive twice." And then you go on in this really interesting paragraph. That I'm going to ask you to read. So tell us the two things. First, you have to survive the thing itself. You have to be physically alive after the thing has happened. That's certainly key to the whole process. But then you have to survive again to get through the consequences of the thing that didn't kill you. You have to figure out how to be a person in, the wor- in a world where your trust in people or your faith in what you think the world is has been shattered. Survival is a gift, but not always the kind you want. Sometimes it's like the worst of grandma's Christmas sweaters because still existing after a terrible thing happened is confusing and painful and sometimes itchy and definitely comes back every Christmas. So you write about this with the analogy of the Christmas sweater that sort of lightens it, but you're talking about a serious thing. So we're only going into as much detail as you feel comfortable going into. Help the, our listeners understand what you're surviving. Well, the book is in general about um, surviving from sexual assault, and that can mean a lot of different things. Um, It's a very intimate story about my experience of going through it. So um, I had an experience of being sexually assaulted by a really close friend. So it was kind of in an intimate relationship that I had. Um, And it wasn't a violent attack uh, the way some sexual assaults are. Um, And I think sometimes people can get kind of confused about what sexual assault or what sexual violation means. We sort of have a mythology that it's being held at gunpoint in an alleyway by a stranger. But um, 
a, a massive amount of the time it's, it's in a situation like that. It's with someone that we already trust, someone that we're already in a relationship with. Um, and so, you know, surviving that, um, is an interesting process because we not only have to sort of get through the incident itself, but then we also have to figure out how to be in intimate relationships again, how to figure out trust and, um, how to kind of be the sort of people that we want to be after something happened that really shatters our idea of the way people should be treating us in intimacy or out in the world. If you have an experience of a violent attack, obviously that's also going to sort of shatter your faith in the world too. So, you know, I, I can understand you have to figure out, like you said, how to be a person in a world where your trust in people uh, has been shattered. What about trusting yourself? Is there a self-shattering Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. so, so how do you, you know, how do you work that? How do you work through that? Yeah, I think, thank you for asking that. I've been thinking a lot lately too, about how we have this narrative around intuition, especially in spiritual circles. We talk a lot about how, you know, the, the secret to the universe is just to trust your intuition, trust your gut. But if you have been sexually assaulted, especially by someone you trusted, you know, guess what? Your gut was wrong. Um, you trusted someone that was not trustworthy in the end. And so that's something that I've really battled with a lot is, you know, how do I trust my own body and how do I forgive myself for, you know, being close with someone that treated me with such disrespect and, you know, sort of a, a degree of hatred, I think, though that may not have been conscious for him. And so absolutely there's a self-shattering. And for me, the process of going through recovery is really the coming to how do I trust myself? How do I care for myself? How do I cultivate practices to connect deeply enough with myself that when and if I do choose to reconnect with other people, it's not the most terrifying thing that's ever happened to me in life. So really finding that courage is a big part of the re recovery process and finding that reconnection to self is really the kernel of the healing, I think. Mm, makes sense. So I'm looking at the subtitle of the book, Eight Steps to Recovering Desire, Passion, and Pleasure After Sexual Assault. So I have a sense, and I just want to get your take on this, that while lots of people are familiar with desire, there is in our culture a real fear of passion and pleasure. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you laugh. So tell me why you laugh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think to a degree there's a fear of all three of those things, really. There is definitely more of a narrative now around connecting to desire and how that might be important, especially when it comes to our life desires, like what we want to you know, do for work and things like that. But passion and pleasure are definitely stickier. And I think there are a lot of different ways that we can kind of talk about that. I'll talk about pleasure first. It's a little easier to kind of get into the conversation there. Um, the thing that I think is so fascinating about pleasure is that when it's real pleasure, when it's genuine um, connection to a bodily experience of pleasure, which is different from chasing a craving or sort of the relief of numbing, um, true pleasure requires that we feel our bodies. And a lot of us don't want to feel our bodies. We don't want to have that experience because if we let in pleasure, then that means that we also have to let in grief and vulnerability and fear and anger and all kinds of unpredictable emotions that can be really uncomfortable. And so a lot of us struggle in our lives because, you know, theoretically, uh, intellectually, we want to be experiencing joy and pleasure in our lives. But when opportunities to experience that stuff comes up, we actually push it away actively because we fear subconsciously 
uh, the consequences of allowing pleasure to come fully into our bodies because it means we have to contact ourselves. And, um, you know, in, in that conversation about how do I reconnect with myself after this shattering, one of the first things a lot of us do is numb out for a very long time because it's just so uncomfortable to, to feel inside of a body that has been shattered in that way. So we avoid it. And pleasure is, is way far down the line. Like it's the, the last thing we want to let ourselves feel because it, it might mean that we also have to feel the grief of what happened and the confusion of, of having, having a, a shattered sense of self and all the other things that can come along with trauma and assault. Well, you have this great phrase, which you borrow from Naomi Wolf's writings, where she says, rape a woman and she'll turn gray. Mm-hmm. And this whole notion of living gray really grabbed me. And I wonder if you get a sense, because this is my sense, that most of us live gray. Mm-hmm. That, that the color, and now I'm taking the metaphor probably beyond where it needs to go. But when we're talking about pleasure, we live gray in the sense that, I mean, we, we look at pornography rather than actually experience intimacy. That we live gray and we take pleasure and maybe even desire and passion and we put it in a in that gray context where where it's all faux. It's not real, and the reason we do that is because to be real is too scary. To be real makes us incredibly vulnerable, and we don't want to do that. And to be real makes us so alive that we no longer fit into the boxes that society wants us to fit into. So, even if we haven't experienced sexual trauma, most of us live gray. What do you think? I totally agree. Um, and there, and like you say, there's so many different reasons why someone might be living gray, which, you know, means we're cut off, right? We're shutting off our ability to feel um, pleasure and all of our other emotions as well. And f- for me, this experience of um, reconnecting to desire, passion and pleasure is really about connecting to what Audre Lorde calls the erotic So it's this energy that moves through our bodies. And it's not necessarily about sex. It can be about a lot of different things, but it's that sense of real connection and vulnerability and really being able to access all of those deep emotions in our bodies. And I think we just live in a culture that doesn't really do a great job of teaching us how to feel our feelings or how to manage difficult feelings when they come up. And so we really have to learn this stuff. So throughout the book, I have little, uh, you know, suggestions, meditations that you can do, things like that. And um, one of the sidebars that is a section of suggestions is is literally entitled How to Feel Your Feelings. And um, there's sort of a step-by-step process that you can do for when an emotion comes up, what to do. Um, Because a lot of the time, what we do when an emotion comes up is we find absolutely any way to avoid it. So we get really busy, we overschedule ourselves, we have a drink, we smoke cigarettes, we play video games, we watch porn for sure. Um, And when we're not, when we're doing those things to avoid ourselves and we're not really deeply connecting with the things that we feel in our bodies, um, we can't have that that sense of of true connection and realness because it requires a skill set that most of us just. When would we have learned that? When would we have learned the emotional intelligence that we need to go through the world in our first families? But a lot of us, you know, don't necessarily have have access to that um, in our family homes. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. 
experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. So reclaiming this capacity to feel means reclaiming the body. And there's material in the book that I, I admit I was, it was uncomfortable for me to read. It just seemed way too intimate. But you present it in a very powerful way. So I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this book is definitely the, the most intimate, most vulnerable thing I've ever written, for sure. And there are some, some pieces in there like that that, um, that were, were an interesting process for me to write about. But um, you know, I, I do think it's really important that we start having these conversations. And um, you know, sexual self-pleasure is how I like to think of masturbation, um, is a really, really powerful practice that we can do for reconnecting to our sexuality and our bodies. Um, and one of the things that I talk about in the book, again, it's something that we rarely ever talk about in our culture because we're so focused on like porn and sex toys. And, you know, there's not necessarily anything inherently wrong with that stuff, but the way that we use it is often to numb out and not really feel what's going on. So when we have a very intimate and connected experience of sexuality, whether that's with ourselves or with another person, we're, we're connecting that erotic energy. We're connecting to our deepest emotions. And the truth about it, especially if you've been sexually assaulted, is that when you have those experiences of sexual pleasure, those negative emotions are going to be there. They, they will arise. And so having this idea that we can kind of have these quick and dirty orgasms without having any shame or fear or vulnerability or, or even anger or grief or whatever arising from the depths with which we are, you know, sort of trying to contact ourselves, when we're really truly connecting in that way, those emotions are going to be there. And so we can use sexual self-pleasure as a practice, like a meditation practice, a mindfulness practice, but we have to be present and that's hard. So, I mean, there is tantric yoga, which is, is understood in different ways in different systems, but the controlled exploration of one's own sexuality leading to orgasm is part of a practice that takes you through the self to get beyond the self. And, and I often wonder if the extreme energy that's generated in a practice like that in yoga has the potential to connect us to the the erotic energy of the universe, that the universe is this pulsing, vibrating, erotic dance. You know, so in Hinduism, they have better imagery than, you know, we, we have Jesus on the cross and they have the dancing Shiva. You know, it's a very different image. So do you get a sense that yoga is tapping into that kind of holy eroticism? Absolutely. Um, and it sort of depends on you know, who is teaching the workshop or, you know, what perspective you're, you're coming from. Um, I think tantric practices uh, can be and have been incredibly healing for some sexual assault survivors because the essence of the idea of tantra is that the energy of sexuality is the metaphorical energy of the goddess of Shakti and the god as well, Shiva, sort of coming together in the sexual act. That's the metaphor there. But just like with any tradition, you know, there have definitely been abuses within, you know, cultures or, or cults um, that have called themselves tantric. And so you kind of have to be careful with the, um, 
the sort of blanket name for that. Like, I think there are some great teachers out there who, who are doing this kind of work, but I worry about survivors sometimes because we either trust people completely without any boundaries or we don't trust anyone at all. And it can be really hard to find that middle ground. That's a big part of the healing that I talk about in the book is how do we find those appropriate boundaries so that we are trusting people who are worthy of trust and that we're, we're keeping appropriate boundaries around ourselves. It's a bit of a difficult balance there. Yeah. When in doubt, they're taking advantage. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and you yeah. should always be in doubt. You know? Yeah. I mean, which I, is. I live in the guru world, guru world and, and you know, if your teacher says, have sex with me and that's going to bring you enlightenment, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it'll make you enlightened about how the teacher is abusing you, but nothing, nothing <laughs> yes, more than that. You may learn that lesson. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and, and, you know, thinking of, um, you know, kind of what I like about this idea of sexual self-pleasure as a practice is you don't need a tantric teacher to do that. You can do it all by yourself. You know, you, you have the tools to do it on your own. You don't need somebody to show you how to heal your sexual body, you you start with yourself. So what's been the reaction to that part of the book? The book is quite new. So um, I'm kind of waiting to, to see how it all goes. Well, what does um, your mother say? She hasn't read that part yet. <laughs> but I'm, I'm very aware that she's reading it right now. And I'm, I'm sort of bracing myself a little bit to see what she thinks. But yeah, I mean, writing this book uh, was a really interesting process for me. And as I said, you know, this is the most vulnerable and the truest thing I've, I've ever written. And it was quite a scary process to sort of go into it. But I also felt like I was really following my own advice in the writing of it, in that, you know, writing this book was an act of courage for me. And it was really an act of truly following that erotic energy that kind of said, like, there is a truth that needs to be told here. And it's time for you to tell it. It's, you know, it's been long enough. And I've, I've sort of collected enough that I that I wanted to say about it, that it was time to put it out there. So I've been very aware of of myself in that process and just kind of feeling like, okay, my story is out there. And I also, you know, I get the sense that no one has really talked about sexual assault so much in, in quite this way. So in my experience, most uh, books about sexual assault focus on the early stages of survival, which is important. That's really good information. And this book is very much my story, but it's also my story of, you know, I really, I was very interested in like life after, like what happens after, you know, you've, you've gotten through those initial survival phases and now you want to have sex again. You know, you want to connect with people again. You want to figure out how to trust. You want to, you know, really develop a relationship with your body. And, and for me going through it, I really wanted to know. And I, I did a lot of research, um, you know, in terms of trying to figure out like, okay, who's been through this? Like, what does this look like? You know, how do we kind of get through um, these experiences and come to the other side? And there's a lot of silence around sexual assault and healing from sexual assault, and especially sex and sexual pleasure after an experience of assault. And I think that's partly because, you know, people may not be ready to talk about that right away. And that is totally okay. You don't want to push people into these conversations. But I did want to open up a conversation a little bit and sort of put myself forward in this way of being like, well, I'll talk about it. You know, like, you can ask me some questions. And Let's just see if we can if we can kind of figure this out together. Yeah, the honesty in the book makes the book incredibly powerful. And, and I think it's a real gift that you gave to not just people who are who have that sexual assault in their in their background and their history and their experience, but to, to anyone who's trying to understand this whole notion of sexual trauma in that sense. Sadly, we are out of time. So we're gonna have to have to end the conversation here. Our guest today, Julie Peters, uh, is the author of Want, 
Eight Steps to Recovering Desire, Passion, and Pleasure After Sexual Assault. You can read essays by Julie in Spirituality Health Magazine. She's a regular contributor to the magazine, and you can learn more about her work on her website, jcpeters.ca for Canada. So, Julie, thank you so much for talking with us on Essential Conversations. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. Well, for me too. Thank mm-hmm. you. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is the bi-weekly podcast of Spirituality and Health magazine. If you like Essential Conversations, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show on your preferred podcast app. You can also follow me on Spirituality and Health's website, where I now write a bi-weekly column called Roadside Musings. And don't forget to subscribe to the print magazine as well. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker, and our executive producer is Ben Nussbaum. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Mona Lisa, and I've been a medical intuitive for over 30 years. Let me help you find new ways to heal physical and emotional problems. Be a part of my Healthy Living Intuitively podcast studio audience every week. Follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mona Lisa fan page, and Instagram, Dr. Mona Lisa One, to get that information. I answer audience questions, and you can learn from people calling in that might be dealing with the same things that you are. Follow Healthy Living Intuitively, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts.